Amen, amen. Well, I've got a long way to go tonight and uh, a short time in which to get there. And um, the, the amazing thing about this, I think every time I've ever taught from this series in the past, um, what we're going to cover tonight has been one of the uh, shortest lessons. And uh, tonight, it looks like it may turn out to be one of the most lengthy. And uh, there's some things that, I've, that I have dug out and found out that I feel like are pertinent as we go through this study. And I want to share those things with you tonight. I really hope and pray I can get through all of it in one night. I really don't want to have to. It's going to get so confusing for uh, the sound notifi- sound people um, that uh, trying to sort out this is part 3A and part whatever. It just It's just going to be better if we can get it all in one night, but we'll see. We'll see how it all turns out. Amen. Revelation chapter 1, verse number 11. Revelation 1, verse 11. I am Alpha and Omega, the first and the last, and what thou seest, write in a book, and send it unto the seven churches which are in Asia, unto Ephesus and unto Smyrna, unto Pergamos, unto Thyatira, unto Sardis, and unto Philadelphia, and unto Laodicea. And then skipping down to verse 19, Jesus is speaking. He says, Write the things which thou hast seen, the things which are, the things which shall be hereafter. The mystery of the seven stars, which thou sawest in my right hand, and the seven golden candlesticks. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven candlesticks which thou sawest are the seven churches. And so tonight we are going on, going forward in our study of the seven churches of Asia. And tonight, we're going to talk about the second church. We're going to talk about Church of Smyrna. Amen. And there is so much, so much here. I pray I can get it all across tonight. Would you put your Bibles down? Would you lift your hands, lift your voices? And let's ask the Lord to speak to us. And would you pray that God would help me and touch my voice tonight that I can deliver the burden of my heart. I need his help. Let's pray together, Lord Jesus. I love you. I thank you, God, for your goodness. God, I've got to have your help tonight. I can't do this without you, Master. I can't do it without you. Lord Jesus, I pray. Help me, oh God. Lord God, Lord, to deliver the burden of my heart, Lord, the things. Oh, Lord, that you have helped me to find. I'm so thankful, God. Lord, I pray you would help me, God. Lord, to offer direction, Lord, instruction, God, to this assembly. I want to feed the flock of God. Help me tonight, Jesus, I pray. Lord, anoint me, God. I'm not worthy to be anointed, but I can't do it without that anointing, oh, Lord. God, I ask for your touch and your help. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. Jesus name. Amen. God bless you. You may be seated. Now I, because I've got so far to go in this study tonight, I am, uh, I'm going to forego the review. Um, I, I will, I may refer back to some things 
as we go through the study and remind you of what we have said so far. But I really need to get into this tonight so we can try to go as far as we can. So if you would open your Bibles to Revelation chapter 2, Revelation chapter 2, and uh, we'll begin with verse number 8, Revelation chapter 2 and verse 8 is where we'll start tonight, and we will, as we did last week, we'll read the entire letter that was written to the church in Smyrna, and then we'll come back and we will look at it verse by verse as we go through this tonight. Revelation chapter 2, and beginning with verse number 8, let's read verses 8 through 11. And unto the angel of the church in Smyrna write, These things saith the first and the last, which was dead, and is alive. I know thy works, and tribulation, and poverty, but thou art rich, and I know the blasphemy of those, of, of them which say they are Jews, and are not, but are the synagogue of Satan. Fear none of these things which thou shalt suffer, and behold, the devil shall cast some of you into prison, that ye may be tried, ye shall have tribulation ten days. Be thou faithful unto death, and I will give thee a crown of life. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. He that overcometh, overcometh shall not be hurt of the second death. All right. And so this is the letter to the church of Smyrna. Now, we really don't know uh, who founded the church of Smyrna. Um, there, there are a couple of ideas, I guess, as to where... Uh, it might have its origins. I think that it's a very good possibility that like the church at Ephesus, uh, this church was founded by the Apostle Paul. And I say that based upon a couple of scriptures we're going to read here. Uh, Acts chapter 19, verse number 10. And this continued by the space of two years. Now this is speaking of the Apostle Paul. Amen. And of course, Acts 19, you'll remember, is where he went into Ephesus and converted the 12 men who were followers of John the Baptist. And a revival broke out there in Ephesus. And the Bible says that this continued by the space of two years. And what happened? So that all so they that which all dwelt they, in Asia heard the all word. All they which dwelt in Asia heard the word of the, the Lord, Lord Jesus. Jesus. Both Jews and Greeks. And so this verse tells us that while Paul was at Ephesus, there was such a mighty revival that broke out that everywhere in Asia, amen, somebody heard the message. Somebody got a hold of the truth. And so it's very, very possible that Smyrna, being one of the churches in Asia, uh, could trace its roots back to this very revival uh, that happened in Ephesus. We also see this confirmed in Acts 19, verse 26. Moreover, you see and hear that not alone in Ephesus, but almost throughout all Asia. Almost throughout all of Asia. This Paul hath persuaded, persuaded and turned away much people, saying that they be no gods which are made with hands. And so here's the testimony of his enemies. Uh, but they are saying that the apostle Paul is responsible for spreading this message almost throughout all of Asia. Amen. That he was the man responsible for it all. And so it's very, very possible that the church was founded by the Apostle Paul. Amen. We don't know that, but it's a possibility. Now, 
Here's the next thing, is that according to some scholars, there seems to be a firm belief. Uh, in fact, it's, uh, I really haven't seen very many that questioned whether this was the case. But it seems to be widely accepted that during the time that this letter in the book of Revelation was written to the church at Smyrna, that the pastor of that church was a man by the name of Polycarp. Now, some of you have heard of Polycarp. Some of you think that's another kind of fish. Um, some of you only know of Polycarp because his name got stuck in a song that was popular some years back. But you'd have to be among uh, the older crowd, most likely, to recognize that fact. But Polycarp was a real individual. In fact, historically, there's a lot of information that, that proves his historicity. Uh, that proves that he was a real uh, individual in history. And, and it appears that Polycarp was actually uh, a son in the gospel to John the Beloved. That he was trained by John. And, uh, and that, of course, would, would, would give more credence, I think, when, when Polycarp were to get this letter, knowing that John's the one that wrote it, and John being his spiritual father. Amen. Polycarp, we're going to talk a little bit about Polycarp here in just a couple of minutes, but, but uh, there are many ancient sources which refer to this preacher and to his writings. In fact, you can find he wrote an epistle to the, uh, to the Philippians. He wrote an epistle to the Philippians, and uh, uh, that is, uh, we, we have copies of that today. You can find those, and other things that were written there was, and uh, I will uh, talk about here in just a moment, uh, actually an, an epistle that was written that uh, it, it seems was written by the church in Smyrna. And uh, it was written kind of as a, uh, I guess, a joint venture of the saints in Smyrna as they told about how Polycarp was put to death. Uh, the, the way that it is written, it sounds as though many of them were eyewitnesses to the fact of what actually took place when Polycarp was, uh, was killed. And he was a martyr in the early church. Now again, you got to understand, here's a man just one step, one generation away from the, the apostles themselves. And in fact, at the time of Revelation, most historians believe all of the original 12 are already dead with the exception of John. He's the only one that was still alive at this period and many, many years had passed. Uh, and so Polycarp was one of those that was the, the second generation uh, apostolic church and he traced his roots back to the apostle John. Amen. And uh, the fact that he was martyred is one of the most well-documented events in, uh, in, in antiquity. It is, there are so many historical references to his martyrdom that there's really no question that it took place. Praise God. Now, a lot of folks question some of the events uh, that supposedly happened, uh, but, but the fact that he was put to death, it cannot be questioned by any real student of history. And, and all of this is important. This is not 
trivia that I'm giving you, it's important for what we're going to be talking about here in just a little while. Amen. The emperors of Rome had unleashed some bitter attacks against the Christians during this time period. And, uh, and members of the early church uh, actually recorded some of the persecution that they experienced and those that were put to death. And Polycarp was among them. He was an aged man at this point, but he was arrested uh, on the charge of being a Christian. Amen. And that's what he was brought before uh, the rulers about because he was a Christian. You'll, you'll understand a little bit more about this in just a moment. As I said, there is an ancient letter which is thought to be an epistle written by the church at Smyrna regarding the events surrounding his martyrdom. Now, now I, I'm not going to take the time to read all of this to you tonight. And for some of you, it may just be boring uh, information. But I promise you, there's a reason why I'm sharing what I'm sharing. And it has a bearing on this letter. It, it really, this is something I, I'm not brought out before when I've taught about the church at Smyrna. But I, there, I see that there is a real connection and, and a very intricate uh, connection to what was being said in this letter to the church uh, at Smyrna. So, so looking at this epistle that, uh, that history says was written by the saints at Smyrna, here are some things that they say. They say that uh, uh, they hunted Polycarp down and uh, he was eventually, uh, they found two of his young servant boys and, and threatened them with torture and one of them uh, under threat of torture uh, decided he would reveal the whereabouts of Polycarp. And so they came to get Polycarp and, uh, and, and they, this is what they said that when they stood there and told him they were going to arrest him, he requested, may I have just one hour to pray alone. I'll go with you. I'm not going to fight. I'm not going to resist. All I want is one hour of prayer and those that were there recorded that he actually ended up spending two hours praying not for his own sake not for his own well-being but he was praying for everybody else everybody that he'd ever tried to help everybody that he would ever had an impact on and he was praying for all the churches around the world he spent two hours interceding before God Amen. while they're waiting there to take him to, to try him on the charge of being a Christian he wasn't begging God to get him out of this. He was praying for everybody else. And then they took him into the stadium. And uh, they, they looked at him, an aged man, very aged man. And uh, uh, they, they realized how frail he was physically. And, and they, they, they tried to appeal to him. Amen. You know, you, you, you could die just, you know, of old age. Things could be so much better for you. All we ask of you is that you uh, speak something reproachful against Christ and admit that Caesar is the Lord. If you'll just speak against Christ and say Caesar is your Lord, then we'll let you go. And this is what his followers that wrote the epistle, I'm quoting now, this was the answer that Polycarp gave. He said, 80 and 6 years have I served him and he never did me any injury. How then can I blaspheme my king and savior? 
Well, hallelujah. Amen. Not only would he not reproach Christ, but he let him know Caesar's not really my king. Amen. Jesus Christ is my king. Amen. Uh, the proconsul said, I, I have wild beasts at hand. And I, I'm going to cast them upon you unless you'll repent of this, uh, this doctrine of yours. And, uh, and he said, call them. He said, call them. I'm reading again. Call them then, for we are not accustomed to repent of what is good in order to adopt that which is evil. And it is well for me to be changed from what is evil to what is righteous. Amen. And so then the proconsul said, well, if you're not afraid of the beast, then we're going to set you on fire. Amen. And he said, thou threatenest me with fire, which burneth for an hour, and after a little is extinguished, but art ignorant of the fire of the coming judgment and of eternal punishment reserved for the ungodly. You're threatening me with a fire that's only going to last a little while. And you're totally ignorant of the fire that's going to last forever. And then he said, but why tarriest thou? Bring forth what thou wilt. What are you waiting on? Don't just stand there and threaten me. I'm not going to change. I'm not afraid. Well, hallelujah. And so then they took him to the stake. And he, he, uh, uh, he asked them, he said, I'm not going to fight you. He said, just tie my hands. You don't have to nail me to this. Just tie me to this stake, and, and I, I'm not going to try to fight against you. And so they granted him that request, and they tied his hands behind his back. Amen. And then, and then, his followers recorded that he offered a, a prayer unto God as he's standing at the stake on top of the wood that they are about to set fire to, and he knows that his life is coming to an end. He starts to pray. And you know what he's praying? He says, God, I thank you that you've counted me worthy of this day and worthy to have a part in the number of thy martyrs. He's not complaining. He's not grumbling. He's not murmuring. He's not pitching a fit. He's not feeling sorry for himself. He said, I'm thankful that you count me worthy to die this way. Well, the epistle goes on to say, they lit the fire. But, now I don't know, I can't verify this. I'm just telling you what's recorded because I took the time to go and find the epistle, find a, an English translation and, and, and read it. And, and so all I can tell you is what they wrote down, all right? I, I can't verify yay or nay, but this is all I can tell you is those that wrote the epistle claim that when they set the fire around him, that rather than the fire starting to consume him, that the fire suddenly took on the shape of an arch that simply wrapped around him as though to protect him, and it never set him on fire. And then they said, and while we stood there, we began to smell a sweet savor that was coming as though somebody had thrown some kind of spices or something into that fire. We begin to smell it coming from there. 
They said when they realized that the fire was not going to put this man to death, uh, then they called for an executioner to go forth, uh, amen, and pierce him through with a dagger. And and uh, uh, history says they went right for the heart, uh, amen, and blood began to gush out of him. Uh, and they said that there was so much blood, uh, amen, that it, it put the fire out. Now, again, I can't verify all this. I'm just telling you what, what they said in that ancient epistle, all right? This is what they said about this man, Polycarp. Now, because of them piercing his heart, he did die. They did end up starting a fire, and they burned his body. Then, amen, he did end up dying. And, uh, and it is important, it's important, amen, that we remember um, this is not trivia, but we need to remember this fact of what happened to Polycarp if he was indeed the angel of the church at Smyrna. All right? All right? It's important that we remember this. Amen. Let's talk about the city of Smyrna for a few minutes. In Roman times, Smyrna was considered to be the most brilliant of, of all of Asia Minor, the most brilliant city. Uh, it, uh, it rivaled uh, Pergamos and Ephesus. Its streets, they said, were wide and paved. It was celebrated for its schools of science and medicine and for the beautiful buildings that they erected. It was a city that was wealthy, amen, and, uh, and very prosperous. And that's interesting when you read what is said in this letter. Amen. Now, now, something else Smyrna was known for. It was known for the imperial cult. By that I mean that their worship was literally the worship of the emperor. In fact, uh, 200 years before Christ, they built a temple to honor the goddess Rome. They considered Rome a goddess and built a temple to worship her in Smyrna. 23 AD, 23 AD, this is while Jesus was still walking the earth in 23 AD. There was another temple built and it was uh, built to the Roman emperor Tiberius, uh, which it was completed in Smyrna. It was the only temple ever built to this man and they built it in Smyrna because this city was so loyal to worship the emperor. Their worship was a way of life. They offered prayers to the emperor. They carried pocket-sized statues of the emperor. They called Caesar Lord. Now, those who were loyal to Rome worshiped in these temples. This is where they went to church. And if they would worship there faithfully, they were given certificates that proved loyalty to the Roman government. Now these, cer these certificates were important because when they went to work, when it's time for a promotion or a pay raise, they only wanted the people who had the certificate. And anyone who didn't have a certificate of loyalty to Rome would not get a promotion. In fact, they couldn't even get hired. Uh, it, it may sound strange, but hang on, honey. 
because America's headed there. You hear me? We're headed there. I can't say it strongly enough to emphasize it the way I feel it. I don't, I don't preach against these vaccines. I, I'm not going to. That's your choice. But I'm going to tell you all these vaccine passports and all of this as they start requiring more and more. Listen to me, my friend. I'm just telling you, they're setting things up to control your life. And we've got some of the most wicked people in the world running this country right now. Some of the most evil, corrupt people that has ever been around are running this country right now. Amen. And I'm telling you, we're headed for what Smyrna was. That's the truth. That's the truth. Amen. Amen. Now, now listen, this is what was required. If they wanted a good job or if they wanted a job at all, they wanted any of the benefits, they had to have the certificate of loyalty that they worshipped in the temple of Rome and worshipped Caesar as their Lord. Now, Christians, real Christians, real Christians wouldn't worship at these temples. And therefore, they didn't get the certificates. And therefore, they didn't get the promotions. And they didn't get the jobs. And so in a very wealthy and prosperous city, there's a whole population living in poverty. I'm just trying to paint the picture before we get into the letter. This is, this, these are things you need to know about Smyrna to really appreciate what's being said in this letter. Amen. Amen. This city had become rich and beautiful based on its loyalty to Rome. And so they didn't want Christians tarnishing their reputation. That group of people that refused to bow to Caesar was a mark against them in their eyes. They knew Rome would come in and help their city. Rome would come in and build businesses in their city because they worshiped at the altar of Rome. Oh, Jesus, help me. I, I've got too far to go to get into all this. But there's so much, so much that sounds like where we're headed today. I'm telling you, so much sounds like where we're headed today. Amen. And so they considered the Christians as a mar or a mark against them. And that's why they persecuted them. They wanted rid of them. I can't help but wonder how many Christians just went and got fake certificates. I, I, I don't know. I, I don't know. Anyhow, Lord help me. I can't get into all that. But, but anyhow, they felt like that would give them a, they could still get the jobs and get the promotions. And yet they knew they weren't really worshiping Caesar. But to the world, it sure looked like they were. <clears throat> now that was not because I've got throat problems that was to get your attention 
The name Smyrna, if you'll remember as I've talked about this the last two weeks, uh, the name of the city and thereby the name of the church is significant to these letters. And, and you'll see this as we go. We talked about last week Ephesus who had left their first love. That the very name Ephesus means beloved or fiance. Desirable one. The one who is chosen. That's what Ephesus means. And, and, and the Lord said, I've got something against you. You've left your first love. There's a connection between its name and what the Lord points out is the error of their ways. Now, the city of Smyrna. Smyrna literally means strong myrrh. Strong myrrh. You see, myrrh was a spice. It was, it was one of those things that gave sweet smell. It, it produced a sweet odor. But only, now hear me, myrrh only produced this sweet odor when it was crushed. The only way to get that sweet smelling savor out of myrrh was to crush it. And then it would give off the beautiful odor they desired. And this Smyrna means strong myrrh. All right, so now let's, with all that background, now let's talk about the letter, all right? Got your Bible open still, Revelation chapter 2. Let's start with verse number 8. And unto the angel of the church in Smyrna write, These things saith the first and the last, which was dead and is alive. Now, this is so, so interesting to me, knowing what we now know about what's going on in Smyrna and how this church is being persecuted and being attacked. And the Lord wants to speak to them. And he said, I want to tell you who it is that's speaking. I'm the first and I'm the last. Now listen, you know what that's saying to Smyrna? He's saying, look, I want you to understand that I am still in control of everything. I'm still in control. I know things are not going the way you want them to go. I know you're not happy with everything you're going through. But don't forget this. It's not Caesar that's calling the shots. I am the first and I am the last. Well, hallelujah. Amen, amen. I'm telling you, he's the one who determines the final fate of God's children. The government doesn't decide that. Nobody, the, the devil doesn't decide it. It is the Lord that makes the decision, amen, as to how everything is going to turn out. He's the one that gets the last word. What does Hebrews 12 and 2 tell us? Looking unto Jesus, looking unto Jesus, the author, the author and finisher. And I love this. He's the author and what? Finisher. He's of the our finisher. Faith. He doesn't just start the book. He's the one that writes the concluding chapter. He's the one that comes along and tells us how it's all going to come out. So Caesar can write anything he wants to write. But in the end, Jesus picks up the pen and he corrects every problem. Amen. And he fixes every situation. And when he's done, he writes the last chapter. And it's going to end the way he wants it to end. Well, praise God. Even though the saints in Smyrna were tortured, some to the point of death, Jesus went on to say to them, he went on to say, he said, these things saith the first and the last, 
which was dead and is alive. Now, why would he say that? Well, it ought to be obvious why he'd say that. He's writing to people that are facing death. Some of them have had family members that have been put to death. But he's saying to them, I just want you to understand something. I'm not asking you to go through anything I haven't already gone through myself. I've already walked this path. I've already gone through all of this. I've already experienced it myself. And I want to tell you the end result. I was dead. But now I'm alive. Death is not the end for the child of God. If they put you to death, that's not the end. Oh, praise God. If I could just say it in common vernacular, Jesus said, oh, you're suffering? Been there, done that. Been there, done that. Amen. I've walked through this already. I know what it's all about. I've experienced it. And furthermore, amen, though I went through death, I came out victorious. Oh, hallelujah. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15 says this. But we have not an high priest. We have not an high priest. Which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities. Yes. But was in all, but points, was in all tempted, points tempted. Like, like as, as we, we are, are yet, yet without, without sin. sin. Here's what he's telling us. Uh, everything you're going through, child of God, don't let the devil tell you you're the only person that's ever felt this way. Don't let the devil tell you God doesn't understand. Don't let the devil tell you the church doesn't understand. Those are lies from hell. I'm here to tell you, he is a high priest uh, who can be touched uh, by the feeling of our infirmities. Uh, he knows what we're going through. Because he's gone through it himself. He's experienced heartaches. He's experienced difficulties. He's experienced persecution. He's experienced suffering. He's experienced loneliness. He's experienced, come on somebody. I'm telling you, whatever it is you're fighting against, Jesus has already been there. He was tempted in all points. Everyone say all points. Everyone say all points. Hallelujah. In all points. Like as we are. And yet he came through it without sin. He didn't grumble. He didn't complain. He didn't murmur. He didn't backbite. He didn't point his finger at anybody. Hallelujah. He's saying, hey, Smyrna, I know, I know what you're going through. Amen, but listen to me. I came through death and I'm alive now. And, and I just want to reassure you that though you go through death, uh, that's not the end for you. Just like I'm alive, you're going to be more alive. Amen, when you close your eyes in death uh, than you've ever been during this life. There is a reality on the other side of what we call death. Amen, don't lose hope. Don't give up. Don't get discouraged. Amen, there's victory on the other other side of this whatever you go through the Lord has gone through it and he'll help you go through it as well amen first Corinthians 10 verse 13 there hath no temptation taken you but such as come unto man but God is faithful who will not suffer you to be tempted above that ye are able God will not suffer or permit God will not permit you to be tempted above that you are able. Read. But with but, but will with the but temptation. But will with 
every temptation. Also make He's going to make a way to escape that you, that may, you be may be it. able to bear it. Don't tell me this is too hard for me. Don't tell me I can't handle this. I'm telling you to say that is to call God a liar. He said you can handle it. He said you can make it. He said you're, he's going to make sure that you're able to bear it no matter how tough it gets. Well, hallelujah. Amen. So, let's move on. Revelation 2 verse 9. He goes into his commendation. Amen. Of this church. Revelation 2 verse 9. He says this. I know thy I know works. thy works. And tribulation. And your tribulation. And poverty. And your poverty. But thou art rich. But thou art rich. And I know the blasphemy yes. of them which say they are Jews and are not but are the synagogue of Satan. Now we're going we're to break this down into a couple of different parts, but, but let's, let's start out here. The first thing we've got to recognize, amen, is that Jesus knew them. Amen. He knew. He knew everything they were facing. He knew everything that was going on. He said, I know thy works. Now, this word could mean negative. It could be positive, but, but it appears to me, as I've read through this and studied this, he doesn't, he's not saying, I know the bad things you're doing. He says, I know the good things you've been doing. So while you're focused on the problems that you've got, just hear me. He says, I want you to know I see everything good you're still doing for the kingdom in the midst of your persecution. I have not forgotten your work and labor of love. I have not overlooked the things that you continue to stand for. I want you to know, Smyrna, my eye is still on you. I know your works. I know your works. And he says, and your tribulation. Now, he knows, he knows the pain that you feel. He knows the suffering you experience. Now, but listen, here's what, here's what struck me as I looked at this. What struck me is he's commending them for the good works they're doing. And yet they're experiencing severe tribulation. They're being persecuted to the point of death. Now, I don't care what you've gone through, and I'm not belittling anybody and their problems, but there's not one of us that have gone through what some of the saints at Smyrna went through. You have not. I have not. And yet in the midst of everything they went through, Brother Goff, they didn't quit working for Jesus. They didn't just sit down and twiddle their thumbs and say, oh, well, the world hates us. We might as well hide in a closet somewhere. We might as well. No, no, no. I'm telling you, they were still just as busy about the work of God as they ever were. Persecution didn't slow them down. Tribulation didn't stop them. Amen. Trouble did not discourage them. They just kept doing what they knew they were supposed to do. It didn't matter what was going on in the world around them. Well, and then he said, and I know your poverty. You see why I told you all that was important? That I go through. There's a reason why they were poor in a very wealthy city. They were poor because they refused to worship in the temple of Caesar. And the Lord said, I know that. I know your poverty. I know the others around you are getting the pay raises and the job promotions. I know you're getting demoted and fired. I know. I know your poverty. 
But he said, let me tell you something. You're really not poor. The world may mark you as poor, but you're rich. Well, I didn't get very many amens on that. See, we think of being rich in only one sense, and that is how much money we've got. But the Lord is telling Smyrna, look, it's not about how big your bank account is. You're rich in a lot of ways, and you need to stop and take, uh, you need to take notice, uh, amen, of just how good you've really got it. I know you may be struggling just to put food on your table. I know you may be having to sew patches on the patches. Amen. On your clothes. Amen. I know what it's like. I understand what you're going through. But listen to me, Smyrna. In spite of the fact that you are in poverty financially, you are rich spiritually. You've got something to be thankful for. You've got something that the rest of Smyrna doesn't have. You've got something that money cannot buy. Rich, rich doesn't just mean financially. And that's what the Lord is saying to Smyrna. Listen to a few verses here, amen, that talk about being rich. 1 Timothy 6, 18. That they do good, that they be rich in good works. Be rich in good works. You're rich in good works. Praise God. Amen. You got a whole lot in that bank account of good works. You've been doing good things. Amen. And listen, whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. I can tell you this. If you're out there doing something for God, God's going to make sure, amen, that the righteous are never forsaken and his seed are never begging bread. You just be rich in good works. You may not be able to control your financial situation, but you be rich in good works. You get busy about the kingdom of God and forget about the dollar signs. You get out there and do something for the Lord and God's going to take care of you. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall they shall be added unto you. Amen. 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 James 2 verse 5. Hearken my beloved brethren Hath not God chosen the poor of this world rich, rich in faith? in faith. Hey, you want to know what's happened around here? You want to know what's been going on around here the last couple of weeks? God's been building up your faith account. You hear me? God's been building up your faith account. Amen. I'm telling you, some of you, amen, have struggled for a long time being poor in faith, but God's changing all that. He's making some deposits. Amen. He's helping you. Amen. You're going to be rich in faith before it's all over with. And listen, as long as we're rich in faith, what does it matter what comes our way if we're sick, but we're rich in faith, God's going to heal us. If we're, if we're poor, amen, but we are rich in faith, God's going to provide for us. Amen. Whatever's going on, I'm telling you, God will see to it when we're rich in faith. Ephesians 1, verse 18. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened, uh-huh. that you may know, you may what, know what is, what the, is hope the hope of his calling, of his calling and what, the, and what riches the riches of the glory of the glory of his inheritance of his in the inheritance 
in the saints. Hallelujah. That's where our richness is, my friend. Amen. The inheritance that God has given to us. Oh, I'm telling you, I wouldn't take anything for the services I've been in in the last few weeks. I wouldn't take anything, amen, for seeing people get the kind of touch we've been seeing them get. I wouldn't take anything for that. I'm telling you, that's the riches of his glory. That's the riches of his glory. Hallelujah. Amen. The inheritance that he's given to his saints. Amen. Romans 8, verses 16 to 18. I'm trying to hurry. The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit uh-huh. that we and are the children, of, children God. of God. And if children, and if we're children, then, then heirs. Then if we are children of God, that means we are the heirs. Do you know what that means? What if your dad was Bill Gates? Would you be worried about making the next car payment? I might be worried about still being alive tomorrow because he's kind of wanting to depopulate the earth. But anyhow, we'll, we'll forget about that for right now. Hallelujah. But listen, amen, what if your, what if your earthly father, amen, had millions in the bank, amen, and you knew your name was on that will? That's what the Bible says. You're an heir of God. Whatever God has, he's written you into the will. And he says, not only are you an heir of God, but what? You are a joint heir. Joint heir. Joint heir. Joint heir. Joint heir with Christ. That means everything Christ, the man inherited, you get to inherit the same thing. That's why Jesus said, whoever believes in me, the works that I do, shall he do also. And greater works than these. Why? How can that be? Because I'm a joint heir. I'm a joint heir. Everything the Father gave to the Son, everything the Spirit invested in that flesh, he invests in the rest of us. We are joint heirs with Christ you want to talk about rich honey there are no finances that could take the place of what God has given to his children oh Lord they may have been poor in worldly possessions but they were rich in the spirit hallelujah so then, uh, let's, let's look at this again, same verse, verse 9. He said, read it again. I know thy, I works, know thy works and tribulation. I know your tribulation. And poverty. I know your poverty, but, but thou art but rich. But don't forget, you're really rich. You're really not as poor as you think you are. You're really rich. And I know the blasphemy. And I know the blasphemy. Of them which of say them they are Jews. Which say they are Jews. And are not. But are not. But are the synagogue of Satan. Uh, Now listen to this. He's saying to them, look, not only do I know your good works, I know how you're suffering, I know all that you're struggling with, I also know you're rich, but but listen, I, I also know all about your enemies. I know who they are. I know what they're doing. I know what they're saying. I know how they're fighting against you. Come on now. 
Now again, none of us have really suffered the kind of persecution that these people in Smyrna suffered, but you know, once in a while, a child of God gets on the job and there'll be somebody there that just hates them because they're one God apostolics. And they'll fight against them, fight against them, tell lies on them, spread all kinds of nonsense about them. Don't think for a minute that God's not watching. He may not be responding at the moment, but this is what he said to Smyrna. Don't think that I'm not aware. I know, I know the blasphemy. That, that word means to speak against. I know all the things they're saying against you. I know what they're saying. Now, now look, here's what I love about this. Brother, Brother Hilton, here's what I love about it. He's already told him, I know your works. And I know, I'm, he said, I know how good you are. And then he says, but I know how bad they're saying you are. Now you got a choice. You can listen to those that are saying you're bad or you can listen to the one who says, I like what I see. Well, praise God. Amen. This is our choice. We can get all discouraged and despondent because somebody's out there spreading lies on us or doing things against us. Or we can look to heaven and say, God, you know the truth. You know, you know God what's really real. You know, hallelujah. Romans 8, 31. What shall, what we, shall we say, say to, these to these things? If God, if before God us, before us, who can be against us? Can be against it? Let them say what they want to say. Let them spread what they want to spread. Let them lie as much as they want to lie. Listen to me, honey. God's got it all recorded. He's got it all recorded. He knows, he knows. Hallelujah, he sees. I don't want to get too sidetracked. In the last few weeks, last few weeks, there have been those folks getting on, on social media and saying all kinds of terrible things about the church and me and my wife and just spreading all kinds. But you know what? I'm just going to leave that in God's hands because God knows the truth. Why should I spend my time fighting? God knows the truth. And as long as God's smiling on me, I don't care. I don't care. Oh, Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. Hallelujah. They, they, they called my wife trash and called her all kinds of ungodly names and, but you know what God knows God knows he knows the real story he knows the real story they can say what they want to say but I'm going to tell you in the end God is going to declare the truth amen Bishop Howard has said many times look he said time is either your best friend or your worst enemy it's either your best friend or your worst enemy. He said, don't ever forget this. He told me, he said, Brother Regan, don't ever forget this. He said, the truth cannot die and a lie cannot live. So you just keep being who you are. You keep living like you're supposed to live and time is gonna prove who's right and who's wrong. Well, oh, help me, Jesus, I'm pulling back on the reins because I, I got so far to go still. I, I will tell you I'm on page 6 out of 10 so I'm doing pretty good. I'm doing pretty good. 
Hallelujah. Well, I'm doing good. Nothing pretty, but I'm doing good. Hallelujah. So, so listen, what shall we say? If God be for us, who can be against us? See, God knows who are his, even though others may say otherwise. Romans chapter 8, verse 33. Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? Hmm. It is God that justifies. Who? Who wants to come? He's talking to Smyrna, and he's saying, let them say what they want to say. Let them spread these rumors. Let them spread their lies and their gossip. Let, Let them do it. Don't waste your time. Don't get in the pig pen with them. So they want to lay some charge to God's elect. God's going to justify. If you're really God's elect, God's going to clear it all up one day. He may not do it as soon as you want, but he'll do it. 2 Timothy 2.19. Nevertheless, nevertheless, the foundation foundation of God standeth sure. sure, Having this seal, seal, the Lord knoweth them that are his. Them that are his. He knows, he knows, he knows. I'm telling you, let them say that you can't be saved. Let them say whatever they want to say. I'm here to proclaim they don't get to make that decision. They don't get to pass that judgment. God's the one. He knows them that are his. He knows who's got the Holy Ghost, who's been baptized in Jesus' name. Let them say what they want to say. God's the one that knows. And he's not asking their opinion. He knows. He knows. So our worry is not what they're saying. Our worry is just let him that nameth the name of Christ depart from iniquity. You just keep doing what's right and let God solve it. Well, Hallelujah, listen, listen, God knows not only those that are his, but he knows who is abusing those that are his. And listen, the the worst thing you could do is try to get out there and fight it yourself. Now I know for most of us, every fiber of our being wants to do exactly that. But you got to understand something, that's not our job. Romans 12, 19, listen to this. Dearly beloved, Dearly beloved avenge, not yourselves, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place rather unto wrath. Give place unto wrath. Avenge, listen, are you here? listen to what he said. Avenge not yourself. Don't try to stick up for yourself. Give place to wrath. Don't be consumed by it. And then what do he say? For it is For written. It's written Vengeance is mine. See, there's only a few things in Scripture that God declared were absolutely, completely, entirely His. And boy, those things we don't want to touch. The tithe is God's. He said that. He said that. That's His. So we don't want to touch that. We don't want to touch that. We don't want to, at no point should we ever say, I can't afford to tithe because that's not your money. That's God's money. And the minute you start touching God's money, you're in trouble with God. Not with me, with God. God said, touch not mine anointed. The ministry is God's. That's his. If there's a problem, you let God take care of it. Well, 
And we need to be careful. We need to be careful. Amen. Uh, it's, it's a difficult thing. Sometimes, you know, we get, we get folks, uh, we say, well, I would never touch the pastor, but there are others with the call on their life, and we can get so careless in the things that we say, the things that we do, and attacking those. But you better remember, the ministry is God's. I got quiet on me all of a sudden, but it's the truth. He said, vengeance is mine. I will repay, saith the Lord. God's going to take care of it. See, when you start trying to fix it, you're, tr- you're kicking jo- God off his job. You are kicking God off his job and saying, I'm going to do this better than you can. I I promise you, if you'll just let God take care of it, he'll do a much better job, much more thoroughly. And he'll he'll, he'll get the point across. He knows how. He can even get someone as high and mighty as Saul of Tarsus flat of his face saying, "Uh, what would you like for me to do, Lord? I'm telling you, he knows how to do it. He knows how to do it. So let's let him take care of all of that. All right, now, now listen. Then God goes on. He says, I know your enemies. I know the blasphemy of them which say they're Jews. I know what they're doing. But what else did he say in this verse? Back to Revelation 2 and 9. I know thy works and tribulation and mm-hmm. poverty, but thou art rich, and I know the blasphemy, know the blasphemy of them which say them they which are Jews. say they're Jews. And are not. They're not really Jews. But are the synagogue of Satan. They are the Satan. synagogue of Satan. Now, one of the things that I did not mention earlier as I was talking about Smyrna and all this going on, from everything that I could find, the Jews were particularly active in persecuting the Christians in the city of Smyrna. They were, they were much more active there than in many other places. I'm telling you, there was a real hotbed of, of, of hatred uh, for the Jews amen, toward the Christians. And so history says that they were turning in Christians right and left. And Jesus said, I know, I know they say they're Jews, but they're not Jews. Now, what does it mean by that? Well, uh, Paul said something uh, along those lines in Romans chapter 9, verse 6. Not as though the word of God hath taken none effect. Now listen to what he says. For they are not, for they are all, not Israel, all Israel, which are, which of, Israel. are of Israel. That's what Paul said, and Paul was one of them. But he said, not everybody that's born with Jewish blood can really say they're a Jew because they're not doing the things that Jews ought to do. Well, and then, in fact, he goes on to say here, Jesus goes on to say they are of the synagogue of Satan. Or really, he says they are the synagogue of Satan. They are the synagogue of Satan. Now, that's, well, that's strong language. This word synagogue in the original, uh, it comes from a word that, that means assembly or congregation. They're the congregation of Satan. Now, Jesus had said pretty much the same thing when he was on earth. Go to John chapter 8, verses 39 to 44. Let's, let's read this quickly. John 8, verses 39 to 44. Listen, listen to this conversation. They answered and said unto him, Abraham is our father. Yeah, we're Jews. That's what they're saying. Jesus, we are Jews. Abraham's our father. Jesus saith unto them. And he said, if you were Abraham's children, children, you would do the works of Abraham. You'd do what Abraham did. But now you seek to kill me. But you seek to kill me. A man that have told you the truth. A man that's told you the truth. Which I have heard of God. I've heard from God. This did not Abraham. Abraham never did anything like that. Don't say you're you're Abraham's child if you're not going to act like Abraham. Ye do the deeds of your father. You do the deeds of your father. Then said they to Woo. him, we be not born of fornication. We're not born fornication. of fornication. We have, we one, have one father, father, even God. Yeah, now all of a sudden they forgot about Abraham. 
And Jesus said Jesus unto them. Kinda, Jesus kind of took that argument right out from under them. We're Abraham's seed. He says, oh, really? Well, you sure don't act like Abraham. Oh, 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 oh we're, we're the children of God. So you think you're acting like God? We have one father, even God. Listen to what Jesus says. Jesus said unto them, Jesus said, if God were your father, God was your father, you would love me. You'd love me. For I proceeded I forth, proceeded forth and came from God. came from God. Neither came neither I, came of, I myself, of myself, but he, he sent, sent me. me. Why do you Why not don't understand, you understand my, speech? my speech? Even because, because you cannot hear, you my, can't word. hear my word. Ye are you the are of the devil. of your father. The devil. The devil. Woo. I mean, he just got right down there where the rubber meets the road, didn't he? He didn't pull any punches whatsoever. They're trying to brag about being Abraham's children. He said, nah, you're not Abraham's children. Oh, we're God's children. No, you're not God's children. I'll tell you who your daddy is. Happy Father's Day. I'm going to tell you who your daddy is. Your daddy is the devil. That's who he is. Read. And the lust of your father ye will do. Yeah, everything your father does, that's what you're doing. He was a murderer from the beginning. He was a murderer from the beginning. And abode not he in the truth. He didn't abide in the truth. Because there is no, truth, no in truth in him. When he speaketh, when he speaketh a, lie, a lie, he speaketh of he his speaks own. He speaks of his own. For he is a liar. Because he is a liar. And, the father and he's of the father of lies. So, so look, Jesus had already said this while he's walking on earth. So when he comes back later and he, he's given this letter, dictating this letter to John, saying, send this over there to Smyrna. You, you just tell him those people that are claiming they're Jews, they're not Jews. They are the congregation of the devil. He's just saying the same thing that he said to him in John chapter 8. He said, you, you just, you, you're, just, you're of the devil. You know why you're of the devil? Because you're trying to hurt the people of God. Now, I wish, I wish I had another 30 minutes right now that I could work on this. We talked about all these things that are being said and all these lies and things that are being spread. Let me just say this. I'm just going to say this. And, and I think if Jesus said it, I, I, I've got a little bit of right to say it. That I, I think what you need to recognize is when people start tearing down the people of God, you say, that's my friend. I want to be nice. You shouldn't have a friend like that. If they're tearing down the people of God, they're murderers. They are murderers. And they are of their father, the devil. That's what, oh boy, I'm feeling a little stump here. I'm feeling a little stump here. Now my old pastor said when you hit a stump, you put the plow deeper and you just dig and you push a little harder, praise God. I'm just telling you what the Bible says, amen. If they'll devour people of God, if they want to ruin the reputation of people of God, they are not Christians. They are of the synagogue of Satan. I don't care what they look like. I don't care how much they worship. I don't care how much they talk in tongues. If they're out there trying to destroy the people of God, they are of the synagogue of Satan. And I don't want devil worshipers as friends. I'm not judging them. I'm fruit inspecting. You know, you know an apple tree because it's got apples hanging on it. Orange trees got orange. You see somebody's always devouring the people of God. Well, you know what kind of tree that is, don't you? That's not a good tree. That's not a good tree. That's a corrupt tree. And I don't want to eat that fruit. Well, 
All right, I'm trying, I'm trying, I promise you. I just got a couple more pages here, and, and let's see, it's 9.02. Give me just a few minutes, and we're going to try to get through this. Amen. We're really not that far away. Amen. We're down to verse 10 here already. So let's look at verse 10. Fear none of those things which thou shalt suffer. Behold, the devil shall cast some of you into prison, that ye may be tried, and ye shall have tribulation ten days. Be thou faithful unto death, and I will give thee a crown of life. Now, First of all, he opens this, uh, he's saying to them here, he's telling them, uh, amen, that there is no need to fear. There is no need to fear. Don't fear what's coming. I'm going to tell you, and I, I've, I said it when, when the pandemic started uh, last year, when it all came, I said then that the biggest thing we are fighting is not the sickness, it's the spirit of fear. And that spirit of fear still has people in their gra- in its grasp. Well, amen, don't fear the things you're going to suffer. Listen, for you to fear means you don't believe God's in control. Amen. 1 John 4, 18, I got to hurry. There is no fear in there love. There is no fear. There is no fear. Fear, no fear. But perfect love passeth out fear. No fear, none, not any in love. Perfect love casts out fear because fear has torment. He that feareth is not made do perfect we believe, in love. Do we believe every word of the Bible is true? Do we believe it's all divinely inspired? Do we believe this verse also? He that feareth is not made perfect in love. Now I'm gonna tell you, if you're living in fear of anything, What you need to do is you need a good old-fashioned prayer meeting and you need to say, God, fill my heart with love. Evidently, I don't love you as much as I should. All right, don't don't start tightening up on me. We'll be here longer than 15 minutes. Amen, don't tighten up on me now. I'm telling you, amen, we've got to understand if we're afraid of anything, it's because we don't really trust that God's going to take care of us. Perfect love casts out fear. Fear of torment. He that feareth is not made perfect in love. Now there's a difference between caution and fear. Nothing wrong with being cautious. But there's everything wrong with being afraid. All right. That's going to have to be another Bible study for another day or we won't get through this. Amen. Listen, don't worry about the things you're going to suffer. How are we going to deal with this preacher? How are we going to deal with this? How are we going to... I'll tell you how we're going to deal with it. We're going to pray. And we're going to let God deal with it. And when the time comes, God's going to give us the direction we need. Amen. When the moment's right and we're standing in a fork in the road, if we'll pray, God will tell us, go this way or go that way. God will give us the direction we need to have. Listen to me. We negotiated this virus last year. How in the world did we do it? We've never been through anything like this. But yet we watched as the Spirit of God met with us. Amen. With just 10 or so of us here and everybody else at home. But God met with us. Lives were restored. People were touched. I'm telling you, God knew what he was doing. You want to know why? Because we weren't living in fear. We weren't letting this world dictate to us. But we were looking to God. We were being cautious. But we let God give us direction when we needed it. Hallelujah. Praise God. Amen. Amen, amen, amen. God knows what he's doing. God knows 
what he's doing. Don't be afraid. You know what? Your obligation is not to worry about how it's all going to come out. Your obligation, your responsibility is not to try to solve it all in your mind. You want to know what your responsibility is? Your responsibility is to make up your mind that no matter what happens, I'm going to keep serving God. Hello? I said your obligation is to make up your mind that no matter what happens, I'm going to keep loving God. I'm going to keep God first. I'm going to keep God first. I'm going to keep on praying. I'm going to keep on fasting. I'm going to keep on coming to church. I'm going to keep on loving God. I'm going to keep on doing right. Let the world do what it wants to do. I'm just going to live for God in the midst of it all. Read for me Romans chapter 8, verses 35 to 39. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril you know or what? sword? You know what? Before he goes any further, here's what you ought to do. You ought to put yourself into this verse. You ought to make this personal. Who can separate me? And ask yourself, if tribulation comes, am I still going to be able to live for God? If I go through distress, am I still going to live for God? If I am persecuted, am I still going to live for God? If I have to go through famine, will I still live for God? Nakedness, peril, sword. What's going to separate me, Brother Goff? What's going to, listen, this is a decision we have to make. The only way any of these things have the power to separate us is if we surrender to them. Read on, read on, read on. As it is written, as it's for, written for, thy for thy sake, we are killed, we are killed all, the day, all the day long. We are accounted as yes. sheep for the slaughter. Yes. Nay, in all these things, no. we are more. Listen, this is where you got to put yourself. you got to ask yourself this question. Are any of these things going to separate me? And then come down to verse 37. Put yourself right there. No, 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 no. In all these things, I am going to be more than a conqueror through him that loved me. Read, 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 For read, read. I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor I, angels. Now listen to what he said. I am persuaded. I've made up my mind. Some more of you need to make up your minds as well. I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor, angels, nor, principalities, nor principalities nor powers nor, powers, nor, things, nor things that I'm dealing with right now nor, things, nor things that may be lurking around the corner tomorrow. Nor height. Nor height. Nor depth. Nor, depth, nor, any, nor other creature any other creature shall be, shall able, be able to separate, to separate us, from, us the love of God, from the love of God, which is in, which Christ, is in Christ Jesus, Jesus our Lord. Lord. I'm telling you, this is the resolution you've got to make. You've got to decide in your mind, I don't care what comes my way. I don't care what hell throws at me. I don't care what life throws at me. I am going to come out of this victorious. I will be a conqueror. Oh, Jesus, I don't have time. I don't have time. I don't have time. But listen, listen, let me tell you. Smyrna, 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 strong myrrh only gives forth its fragrance when it's crushed. And I'm going to tell you, there are some people that can only be saved through adversity. Some people can't handle being blessed. I, I heard, 
I heard Elder Wade Bass tell a story. And I promise I'm trying to close, but I heard him tell a story about a woman he pastored many years ago that, that she, she had a husband that was abusive. She, he, would, he did not want her going to church. And she would, she would still go, and when she'd get home, he'd beat her mercilessly. He would just beat her. He, if, if he ever walked in and found her praying, he'd grab her by the hair of the head and drag her out of that room and beat her for praying. And she just kept coming, kept coming, kept coming, kept coming. And eventually the husband died. And Elder Bass told me, he said, he said, after her husband died, I watched. She quit praying. She started missing church. She ended up dying backslid, if I'm not mistaken. So sad that she lived for God in the midst of adversity. But when adversity was taken away, she forgot how to pray. I want to tell you, there's some people that Smyrna is their life. And the only way they'll ever give the sweet smell and fragrance, they're going to have to go through adversity. They're going to have to go through adversity. And if you're one of those, don't complain when God sends adversity your way. It may be the best friend that you've got. If that's what keeps you on your knees, it's the best friend you've got. There's a reason why Jesus called Peter the devil and called Judas his friend. Because Peter was trying to stop him from going to Calvary and Judas helped him get there. Well, another lesson for another day. Amen. And I don't have time, but you can write this down. 1 Corinthians 3, verses 13 to 15. The Bible says every man's work is going to be tried by fire. It's going to be tried by fire, and God's going to prove what it is that you're really building in your life. He's going to prove it. He's going to prove it. Everybody's going to go through some of this crushing. James chapter 1, verses 2 to 4. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall in diverse temptations. Knowing this, the trying of your faith worketh patience. There's that verse you were looking for earlier tonight. Brother Jared, there it is right there. Amen. It was already in my notes. Praise God. Amen. But let patience have her work, her perfect work. Know uh, that you may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing or lacking nothing is what the word really means. This is the way it works for many of us. We got to go through these diverse temptations. We got to go through this crushing in order, in order to become what God wants us to be. First Peter chapter one verses six to nine. Amen. Says that, that that go ahead and read that one for me, would you? But let's read it as quickly as we can. I'm trying. I promise. I'm trying. Amen. Read. Where, wherein ye greatly, you rejoice, greatly rejoice, though now for, though a, now season, for a season, if need, if need be, be, ye are in heaviness, in heaviness through, manifold through manifold temptations. temptations that the trial of, the trial your, faith, of your faith, being much, being more, much precious more precious than of gold, than gold that, perisheth, that perisheth, though it be tried yes. with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ, yes. whom have who having not seen, ye love, yes. and whom though now ye see him not, yet believing. Yet believing. Yet rejoice, rejoice with joy, with unspeakable joy and full of glory. And listen to verse 9. Receiving, Receiving the, end of, the faith, end of your faith, even the salvation, even of your the salvation of your soul. Here's what he said. He said the trying of your faith is what's going to bring you forth as pure as gold. Amen. He said this is going to bring you to the end of your faith, which is the salvation of your souls. Amen. Don't think God's forgotten you. Don't think God's forsaken you because you're going through some crushing. Amen. Listen to what Job said, Job 23 and 10. He said this, 
But he knoweth but the he way that knoweth I take. the way that I take. God's aware of every trial. He's aware of every temptation. He's aware of every struggle. He's aware of every tear. He's aware of every heartache. He knoweth the way that I take. So why is he letting me take it? I'll tell you why. Because when he's tried me, I'm going to come forth as gold. There's a purpose behind it. There's a reason why he's letting me go through this experience. Well, hallelujah. Amen, amen, amen. I'm on page nine. I'm on page nine. So I'm, this is, we're, we're, we're getting down there. Amen. Now he said, he said, don't fear those things which thou shalt suffer. This is Revelation 2, verse 10. You still got your Bible open? I know we crossed magic hour a few minutes ago, but, but give me just a few minutes. Let me finish. Amen. Let me finish here tonight. Amen. Revelation 2, verse 10. He said, don't fear the things which you suffer. Behold, the devil's going to cast some of you in prison. and You're going to be tried. And he said, you're going to have tribulation 10 days. Now, I, I'm prepared here to go through all this. This, 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 is, this gives the scholars quite a, a, a head-scratching experience why 10 days is mentioned and, and uh, nobody really is absolutely certain, including me, as to why he said 10 days. There's a lot of things that can be offered. It's purely conject conjecture, uh, but it does appear to me from everything I looked at, you can for example, if you're taking notes, Genesis 24 55, amen, her, her brother and mother said, let the damsel abide with us a few days at the least 10. It seems like that number 10 usually signified something small, something insignificant in the minds of the people, amen, that, that many times they would talk about 10 days, uh, just, just you know, that's not really that long, just, it, just let us have the week and a half, it's not really that long, and, and so there are many that believe that what he's really saying saying here is that really it's not a literal 10 day period. Remember, we're in the book of Revelation. And, and a lot of things that carry, carry a lot of different meanings. Amen. And, and so we, we got to understand that there's a real possibility that what he's really saying here, amen, is that it's just going to be a short time. You're going to have to go through this for a short time. Now, one man suggested that because it's the book of Revelation, we should recognize that each year would rep or each day would represent a year. And Adam Clark said that there was, there was a 10 year period of severe persecution, amen, for the church churches in Asia under uh, Diocletian, one of the Roman rulers, that for 10 years they, they suffered some of their worst persecution ever. And so Adam Clark says he thinks that this, these 10 days really represented 10 years and that there was an exact period. Whatever it is, I'm just telling you, whether it's 10 days or 10 years, really relatively, it's a short time. And the message is this, it won't last forever. If you know it's going to be 10 years, that may seem like a long time in year one, but you get down to about year eight and a half and you're marking off the days on your calendar, you know it's going to end. You know it's going to stop. There's going to be a day when I'm not going through this anymore. I'm going to hang on until it's over. I think that's what the Lord is saying. Amen. Don't worry about how long it is, but just know this. In light of eternity, it's not going to be that long and you're going to come through this. You're able to make it through this you're able to survive this well praise God amen the psalmist said though I walk through brother Jared referred to this he did a good job leading this morning tonight he kind of kind of tapped into some things that I already had planned to say and I appreciate that amen I like it when it happens that way praise God listen the psalmist said though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death not though I walk into it and die there I'm going through it amen there was an entrance door but there's also an exit door so I'm going to keep walking until I find that exit I'm coming out of this trouble I'm coming out of this tribulation I'm coming out 
out of this trial, God's not going to make it last forever. Amen. Amen. He said 10 days, 10 days. And then he said, he said, be thou faithful unto death and I'll give thee a crown of life. Now, I like the way he worded this. It's really kind of a word play. He said, you be faithful to death and I'll give you a crown of life. Praise God. Amen. God said, I'm going to turn everything around. Amen. Everything that it's costing you, I'm going to reward you for it. Here's the way the Apostle Paul put it. Romans 8 and verse 18 says this. For I reckon, for I reckon that the suffering of, of this present time are not worthy to be compared, to be compared with, the glory, with the glory which shall, which be, shall revealed be revealed in us. in us. I'm saying this. You just stack it all up. Every problem, every trial, every tribulation, every trouble, stack it all up, pile it as high as you want to and when you get to eternity, if you'll hang on, if you'll be faithful to the end when you get over there and you look at what God gives you over there and you look at what life is like on the other side this mountain of problems is going to be a molehill it's not even worthy to be compared not even worthy to be compared amen amen, amen, amen all right, so then verse 11, we're on the last verse. Musicians, if you want to come and get ready. Amen, we're on the last verse. Revelation 2, verse number 11, he says this. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. Yeah, now we talked about that last time. It really means not just to listen to, but it means to obey it. He said, listen to everything that I've told you now. Do what I've told you to do. Do what I've told you to do. Praise God. And then he said this. He that, he that overcometh shall not, be hurt shall not be hurt of the second death. Of the second death. Now, Revelation 20, verse 6 confirms this. Read. Blessed and holy, Blessed and holy is he that hath part, part in the first, in the first resurrection. resurrection. On such On the such second death hath no power. The second death hath no power. But they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall and reign, with, reign him with him a thousand him years. A thousand years. Now, what is this second death? Well, it's explained in Revelation 21, verse 8. But the fearful, the fearful and unbelieving, unbelieving and the abominable, abominable. and murderers yes. and whoremongers yes. and sorcerers yes. and idolaters and all, and all liars, liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the which second is death. The second death. That's what the second death is. Amen. It's not when your heart stops beating. It's when you're cast into that lake of fire. But Jesus said to the church at Smyrna, I know you're going to be crushed. I know you've got to be crushed to bring forth the sweet-smelling fragrance, but you just hang on, and if you overcome, he said, I'm telling you, you're not going to experience that second death. You're not going to know anything about that. Listen to me, saints of God. For us, death and the grave have no sting and no victory. I know it's time to go home, but I think I can get a better response than that. I said, for the saints of God, death and the grave have no sting and no victory. Read 1 Corinthians 15, verse 55. Oh, death, oh, death where is, where thy, is thy sting? Oh, grave, oh, grave where, where is, thy, is victory? thy victory? Amen. Death and the grave are not the victory. Amen. But I'm telling you what happens. They actually give birth to our victory. They don't have the victory, but they produce the victory for us. What did verse 54 say? 1 Corinthians 15, 54. So when this, so corruptible, when this corruptible shall have put, shall have put on, on incorruption, incorruption. And, this and this mortal, mortal shall, have, shall put have put on immortality, immortality. then shall be, brought, shall be to brought to pass the saying, the saying that, is that is written, death, death is swallowed up is in victory. Swallowed up in victory. 
Hallelujah. I'm telling you, this is where the great victory comes. Amen. Death is not defeat for the saint of God. Death doesn't bring harm to the people of God. Precious in the eyes of the Lord is the death of his saints. I know it's hard for us to lose them. I know it's hard for us to let go. But I'm telling you, there's another world over there that's longing and waiting for them to come. And it's waiting on us and the saints that have gone on. Amen. We'll rejoice when it comes our time to set foot on that golden shore. I'm here to proclaim death is not victory, but it gives us victory. The grave is not victory, but it gives us victory. Hallelujah. I'm going to be faithful. I'm going to hang on. I'm going to live for God until my dying breath. And it's then that I really start to live. Oh, let's stand and love God together. Praise God. Let's love him. Let's love him. Let's love him. Let's love him. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Oh, come on. Let's love him. Praise God.